just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Monday. We're starting out another week. No doubt this week will be yet another shit show. Last week was kind of a shit show. And even this weekend, we had some weird stuff going on. So we'll have plenty to talk about. That's the one wonderful thing about doing the Rational Boomer Podcast. There's never a shortage of things to talk about. You know, remember the days when one big story would hit and everybody would be just talking about that one story? It doesn't happen anymore. I mean, a big story will happen. People will focus on it a little bit, and then something else will happen. And then another thing will happen. And now you're talking about three things. It just seems like we're inundated with crazy or traumatic or tragic or just unbelievable stories. For as much as that helps me do the podcast, I wish it would kind of slow down a little bit because we get all these things happening and oftentimes it's easy to forget about some serious things because something even crazier happened. We do our best to try to keep it straight here and keep you posted as to what's happening and uh, we will continue to do that. Now, before we get started on this show, of course, we always have some emails And I have an email from a gentleman by the name of Michael. He's talking, the title of his email is, The Woman Accused of Stealing Pelosi's Laptop Gets to Attend a Renaissance Fair. And uh, the source is NPR. Michael sends that, and then he sends me a link. So let's just see what that link says. When Riley Williams, who was accused of stealing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's laptop during the January 6th insurrection, was released from jail last year, the judge ordered that Williams would only be able to leave home for work, court proceedings, and a handful of approved outings. Now, it appears the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair is one of those exceptions. The 25-year-old has been granted permission to attend the Fairies and Fantasy theme fair for eight hours over the weekend. Her lawyer, Lori Ulrich, told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette she is confined to her home 24-7 with exceptions. Every once in a while, if there is an activity that interests her, we ask if she can attend. Oh, sure. Cut her a break. I mean, she's not that bad. She breaks into the U.S. Capitol, takes the Speaker of the House's uh, laptop. Yeah, she deserves a break. Here's the funny thing. We talk about Renaissance fairs. I went to a Renaissance fair, uh, what, 35 years ago, and I've never been allowed to go to another Renaissance fair. No, I wasn't kicked out. No, I wasn't 86th from a Renaissance fair. The reason I don't go back to a Renaissance fair is because my wife won't allow it. <laughs> now, before you, you, you get all freaked out about this, I'll just tell you why. And and I support her in this. Um, we went there like 35 years ago while she was pregnant with my first son. Okay. 
and we're walking around trying to have fun. We don't have a lot of money. We're getting a turkey leg, you know, all the normal shit. And it's kind of weird and kind of interesting. So we go. Renaissance fairs aren't really who we are, but we thought, you know, fuck, we got nothing else going on. We probably got free tickets to get in from the radio station I was working at. We thought, what the heck? So here's my wife, probably nine months pregnant. It was, my son was born in September. This is probably August. So we're walking around. Now, at the Renaissance Fair that came to Minnesota, there were two guys who were dressed in period clothes, and they were called Puke and Snot. They probably went to a lot of Renaissance Fairs. And... Uh, and so they roam around the Renaissance Fair making fun of people, making fun of each other. They're just smart asses. They're sarcastic. Uh, they're kind of insult comics, okay? No big deal. I can handle that. I can throw an insult with the best of them. But my wife and I are walking along, and my wife is clearly very pregnant. And her hands are all kind of uh, uh, swollen because she's so pregnant. And it's August, and it's hot. So she doesn't have her wedding ring on. It was a tough time getting it off, and we didn't want it getting stuck, so she took it off. So we're walking around the Renaissance Fair, and Puke and Snot, (laughs) I love those names, they see us. So they walk up to us. Apparently, we are going to be their target. Now, I'm ready for them to give me shit, and I'll throw some back. But what I wasn't prepared for is what they did. They look at my wife. In her pregnant state, (laughs) they see her hand. They grab her hand and see she doesn't have a wedding ring on. (laughs) And they yell out in the middle of the crowd. They hold her hand up and they say, ladies and gentlemen, here is the town whore. (laughs) And they kind of vamped on that whole thing. Well, my wife didn't see the humor in that. And... (laughs) And because I knew better, even at that early stage of our marriage, I better not fucking laugh at this. It was kind of funny. And it was just a joke. But you put a woman eight, nine months pregnant in the heat in a fair and somebody calls her the town whore. Yeah, that didn't go over too well. So anytime the Renaissance Fair comes around, yeah, we don't get to go. We've had people say, you want to go with us? My wife will say, fuck no. <laughs> You know, it's funny, though, when I was at my job just getting ready to retire, there was a guy who retired before me. This is interesting with this new van life stuff going on. Um, And he was just a Department of Transportation guy. I work with him from time to time. Nice guy. Turned out he was a Trump humper, so fuck him now. But at the time, we weren't discussing that. And uh, he was looking to retire. He had and and what, what, what he and his wife were going to do, and I think they still do it, they were going to buy like a fifth-wheel trailer, hook it to their truck, and they were going to live in that trailer permanently, and they were going to go to Renaissance Fair to Renaissance Fair all across the country. Now, he was a, a, a leather craftsman, and of course, leather stuff is big at these Renaissance Fairs. So what he was going to do is get in this truck and trailer, park someplace, stay there for two weeks, go to the Renaissance Fair, work, sell his wares, and then move on to the next one. 
Now, initially, that sounds like a cool idea, but I got to think after a couple of years, maybe three years of doing this, that's a little fucked up. I don't know that I could handle that. So anyway, (laughs) that's my take on Renaissance fairs. And apparently the lady who stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop has enough <laughs> enough freedom to break away from house arrest to, to go to a fucking Renaissance fair. I hope puke and snot are there, <clears throat> and I hope they take her to task. All right, the uh, last email comes from Bren from Canada. Says, hey, Mike, just want to comment on your ophthalmologist appointment and how much cash you had to fork over. I work for an eye surgeon, and here in Canada, our government pays for the surgery. The only upcharge is if the parent, if the patient wants a toric lens, which is $500 plus. Wishing you a speedy recovery. Love the podcast. I haven't missed any of them. Keep up the great work. Bren from Canada. Now, now, see, there you go. If you talk to somebody who's a Republican here, they say, oh, that Canada healthcare is fucked up. But everybody in Canada I talk to says that's not the case. And, of course, in a situation like this, I mean, I was told, I asked specifically, how much does this surgery cost flat out full price? And they said about four grand, 4500 That's assuming I don't take the upgrades. Just a standard one is four thousand to forty five hundred, of which I'm paying three grand of. So the coverage I'm getting for paying seven hundred dollars a month health care is just fucking ridiculous. You can tell me that the way it works in Canada isn't as effective. Well, let me tell you something. They said, well, you'll have to wait a long time to get surgery. I tell you what. It's taken me two months to get this fucking surgery, and I'm paying a shitload of money. So you know what? If I had to wait two months to get it in Canada and pay a lot less, I'm down for that. Fuck it. I'm down for that. All right. Here's one story that came out this weekend that uh, I think is maybe a little bigger than it's getting credit for. The daughter of an influential Russian political theorist often referred to as Putin's brain, (laughs) I knew it was someplace other than his head, was killed in a car bombing on the outskirts of Moscow, authorities said. The Moscow branch of the Russian Investigative Committee said preliminary information indicated that 29-year-old TV commentator Daria Dugina was killed by an explosive plant in the SUV she was driving Saturday night. There was no immediate claim of responsibility, but the bloodshed gave rise to suspicion that the intended target was her father, Alexander Dugan, a nationalist philosopher and writer. Dugan is a prominent proponent of the Russian world concept, a spiritual and political ideology that emphasized traditional Values Now, the restorations of Russia's power and the unity of all ethnic Russians throughout the world. He is also a vehement supporter of Russian President Vladimir Putin's move to sending troops to Ukraine. The explosion took place as his daughter was returning from a cultural festival. I hope it wasn't a Renaissance fair. She had attended with him. Russian media reports cited witnesses as saying the SUV belonged to Dugan and that he had decided at the last minute to travel in another vehicle. Interesting. Is he lucky 
Or did he know something, and did he not care that his daughter would be in there? The car bombing, unusual for Moscow, is likely to aggravate tensions between Russia and Ukraine. I'll be honest with you. I don't think Russia, or Ukraine was behind this. Denis Pushilin, president of the separatist Donetsk People's Republic, the pro-Moscow region that is a focus of Russia's fighting in Ukraine, blamed the blast on terrorists of the Ukrainian regime trying to kill Alexander Dugin. Now, you have to understand this Dugin guy, if that's the right way to pronounce it, is uh, or Dugin, who fucking cares, uh, is that he is probably one of the closest advisors to uh, Vladimir Putin, and uh, he Putin really depended on him. So this has got to make people a little nervous. Um, Mikhailo Podol. Podolyak, an advisor to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, denied Ukrainian involvement, saying, we are not a criminal state, unlike Russia, and definitely not a terrorist state. So if you take Donald Trump's um, mindset, they said they didn't do it, so clearly they didn't do it. You remember when uh, people were talking about Russia was meddling in the 2016 election, Donald Trump said, well, you know, Putin said he didn't do it, so we got to believe him. Same deal. Political analyst Abbas Galiamov, a former speechwriter for Putin, called the attack an act of intimidation aimed at Kremlin loyalists. To them, he said, this is a symbolic act demonstrating that hostilities have been confidently transferred to the territory of Russia, which means this is no longer an abstract war you watch on TV. This is already happening in Russia. Now, not only is Crimea being bombed, and when I say Crimea, I'm talking about the areas controlled by Russia. But now they're suggesting those same terroristic acts. Now, see, that's the fucked up thing. They're saying the bombing in Crimea Crimea is a terrorist act. Well, Crimea is really Ukraine's property, but the Russians have taken it over. So what Ukrainians are trying to do is get the fuckers out of there so they can get their part of the country back. But they're calling, you know, somehow I just don't think that if someone's occupied your country and you shoot them, I don't see that as a terrorist act. But they're trying to compare that to what happened in Moscow. Now, while Dugin's exact ties to Putin are unclear, the Kremlin frequently echoes rhetoric from his writings and appearances on Russian state TV. He helped popularize the, um, I'll see if I can pronounce this properly, Novo Rossoia, or New Russia concept that Russia used to justify the 2014 annexation of Crimea and its support for separatist rebels in eastern Ukraine. He promotes Russia as a country of piety, traditional values, and authoritarian leadership, and disdains Western liberal values. Sounds like another close buddy of Donald Trump, because they're kind of on the same page. His daughter expressed similar views and had appeared as a commentator on the nationalist TV, Tsargrad, where Dugan had served as chief editor. Dugina herself 
was uh, sanctioned by the U.S. in March for her work as a chief editor of the United World International, a website that the U.S. described as disinformation source. The sanctions announced cited a United World article this year that contended Ukraine would perish if it were admitted to NATO. Dugina, like her father, has always been at the forefront of con- confrontation with the West. Uh, so here's the deal. Who did it? They'd like you to believe it is Ukraine. Some people are even suggesting it was America, and I don't think it was either. I think it may have been somebody internally. I mean, that's doing that kind of thing isn't Ukraine's speed, and we certainly wouldn't do something that small. If we're going to do something, we're going to do something that has an impact. Uh, but this could mean there's a little strife going on inside the country. People are getting tired of the sanctions. People are getting tired of the fighting, the lying. I mean, you walk down the streets of Russia, you say anything against Russia, you're in fucking jail. I mean, it's not a good place to be at this point. And you have to believe that there are some people within the government or just outside the government that are saying, uh, we got to change this shit right now. So if they're going after um, Putin's buddy, don't be surprised if there might not be an attempt on Putin himself. Uh, So we'll we'll see what happens with that. But if we can uh, see things starting to fall apart a little bit in Russia, all the fucking better. All right, here's something you might feel is bad news. Maybe it is. I doubt it is. A federal appeals court on Sunday agreed to temporarily put a hold on a lower court's order requiring that U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham testify before a special grand jury that's investigating possible illegal efforts to overturn then-President Donald Trump's election loss in Georgia. A subpoena had instructed the South Carolina Republican to appear before the special grand jury tomorrow. That's when he's supposed to appear. U.S. District Judge Lay Martin May Lay Martin May last Monday denied Graham's request to quash his subpoena, and on Friday rejected his effort to put a hold, put her decision on hold while he appealed. Graham's lawyers then appealed to the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, on Sunday, a three-judge panel of the appeals court issued the order temporarily pausing May's order, declining to quash the subpoena. Now, the panel sent the case back to May to decide whether the subpoena should be partially quashed or modified because of protections granted to members of Congress by the U.S. Constitution. Once May decides that issue, the case will return to the 11th Circuit for further consideration, according to the appeals court. So you see what's happening here. He took it to another court. They said, yeah, we got, maybe we need to look at this. But they then sent it back to the same judge that said, fuck you, you've got to attend. This is just a delay process. She's going to say, fuck it, no, he's got to do it. It'll go back to the 11th U.S. Circuit Court and then... They'll have to agree with her. He's going to have to talk. All he's doing is trying to delay it, create chaos, create uh, or convolute the whole fucking thing just so he can delay it more and hope against hope something will happen that will that will 
save him from doing it, but nothing's going to save him. And frankly, even if he doesn't talk, that isn't going to stop Fonnie Willis from sending him an indictment at some point soon. Graham's representatives did not immediately respond Sunday to a message seeking comment on the appellate ruling. A spokesperson for the Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis declined to comment. Now, Willis opened the investigation early last year, prompted by the January 6, 2021 phone call between Trump and Georgia State or Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Now, you you remember that call. It's on recording. We've all heard it. It's all I need you to do is find 11,780 votes. Whatever it takes, just do it. That call essentially is illegal. But, of course, we now know that Lindsey Graham made two calls, too. There may or may not be recordings of that. We just have not heard them as yet. Willis and her team have said they want to ask Graham about two phone calls that they say he made to Raffensperger and his staff shortly after the 2020 general election. During those calls, Graham asked about re-examining certain absentee ballots cast in Georgia in order to explore the possibility of a more favorable outcome for former President Donald Trump. Willis wrote in a petition seeking to compel his testimony. Graham also made reference to allegations of widespread voter fraud in November 2020 election in Georgia, which we know never happened, and we also know he knew it never happened. He's trying to say that he made this call in his regular job as a U.S. senator. Well, why would a U.S. senator from South Carolina find it necessary to call Uh, the Georgia attorney or secretary of state. That makes no sense. And every judge who's looked at it said, no, that's not a thing. You're going to fucking talk. Republican and Democrat state election officials across the country, courts, and even Trump's attorney general found there was no evidence of voter fraud sufficient to affect the outcome of the election. During a hearing earlier this month on Graham's motion to quash his subpoena, Willis's team said Graham may be able to provide insight into the extent of any coordinated efforts to influence the results of the 2020 general election in Georgia. He's got to testify. He's not only got to testify, he may be culpable in this situation. They're saying he made two calls. We know he's Donald Trump's buddy. They were trying, he was trying to get them to throw out ballots that weren't favorable for Donald Trump. What he did was no less illegal than what Donald Trump did. We know Rudy Giuliani testified, and we knew that he was identified as a target prior to testifying. The fact is, we may be looking at at um, Lindsey Graham as a target, too. And so, as much as it might be delayed a few days, this isn't going to last long. At best, I'm thinking it's delayed a week. But he's going to have to talk, and he's not going to like it. You put these clowns under oath, and that puts them in a bad position. They're not used to telling the truth. And if they are forced to tell the truth because they might be charged with perjury, they're going to have to say the opposite of what they've been saying in the media for the last two years. This puts uh, this puts him in a bad position. He's either going to have to lie and uh, suffer perjury charges 
or he's going to tell the truth and have his boyfriend Donald be angry about it. To know one situation from for uh, Lindsey Graham, <clears throat> but let's be honest, none of it matters much if he's ultimately going to get an indictment. And I think he realizes this. If they indicted Giuliani, because Giuliani went down there and spoke to uh, state legislators, they're probably going to indict Lindsey for literally going in and trying to coerce the Secretary of State to change votes. Regardless of how you look it, look at it or how you word it, that is highly illegal. And if no one is truly above the law, then Lindsay, in spite of your lofty position as a U.S. senator, you're still fucked. You're not as protected as a president or even a former president. What they're going to do to Donald Trump, it's hard to say. They may not want to talk to him because they don't always talk to the main target. But Donald Trump clearly committed a crime when he called Raffensperger. We heard the audio tape. I think it's fair to say that the first person to uh, indict Donald Trump may be Fonnie Willis. And if he indicts Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, there seems to be no question in anybody's mind that they're, that she's going to indict Lindsey Graham. And this would be a wondrous thing. It'd be interesting to see how he reacts to this. Does he fold at some point and tell the truth? Well, if he's actually being coerced or blackmailed by Donald Trump and or Vladimir Putin, it's a no-win situation for him. Whatever they're going to tell on him about, he feels is going to destroy his career. Now, there's always been a presumption that he's gay for any number of reasons. He's 65 years old, never been married. He's living, he has a roommate who's his best friend for 25 years or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, here's the thing. The fact that he's gay, nobody would care about. Nobody would care about it other than the LGBTQ crowd because he's worked against them. So if, in fact, he is gay, and he worked against LGBTQ policies, eh, he's going to have a problem with his own community. But for whatever is in his head, he thinks whatever could be exposed is enough to sell his soul, which is what he essentially has done. He sold his soul to the devil or Donald Trump, and he will lie and cheat and steal hoping against hope that he can bully enough people or scare them with his power that he will be able to slip through this. I think he's finally realizing now that that's not going to happen. Everything is falling apart that is connected to Donald Trump, and it is going to fall in a deep chasm. And that's where Lindsey Graham and some of these sitting members of Congress, like Paul Gozar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, and the like, they're going to end up out of business, at least the politics business. And they know it. And they're starting to get nervous. We're hearing it in their rhetoric, and we're hearing it on Donald Trump's ranting and ravings on that social media platform that he invented, allegedly. True Social. Oh, it's, I've seen some of the posts, and it's absolutely hilarious, telling us that the FBI, the people love them. It's just the administration. That since this, this, uh, this, search happened. It's a good thing because it's 
raised his stock in the polls, that he's polling better than everybody. None of that is true. None of that is true. And he's just trying to spew this stuff in hopes that the dumbest of us will believe it. And the dumb of us, dumbest of us will probably believe it. Unfortunately for them, they make up a small percentage of this country. Anybody with a reasonable mind, normal intelligence will see the ridiculousness in this whole situation. And it's not going to work for Donald Trump. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. All right. Next up, we're going to talk about another special kind of piece of shit. He happens to be a U.S. senator from a state that neighbors my own home state. I'm talking about Wisconsin and I'm, of course, talking about Senator Ron Johnson. Now, Senator Ron Johnson has refused to speak to the January 6th committee because his participation in a plot to overturn the 2020 presidential election only lasted a couple of seconds. Really, Ron, you're known to lie. And let's be perfectly honest, if you're trying to overthrow the government, whether you were participating for 10 seconds or 10 weeks, it's just as bad. You're just as Uh, culpable. You're just as much a criminal. But the fact that you want us to believe that is absolutely ridiculous. Now, during a recent interview, uh, Johnson was asked if he would agree to speak to the January 6th committee. He says, no, I had nothing to do with January 6th, Johnson said. And then he was asked, if they asked you to testify, would you? Johnson said, what would they ask me to testify about? And, of course, the reporter says the Republican electors, the fake electors from Wisconsin, referring to a fake slate of electors that Johnson was asked to deliver to then-Vice President Mike Pence in an effort to steal the election from Joe Biden. Of course, Johnson goes on to say, again, another grotesque distortion. I had nothing to do with the alternate slate. I had no idea anybody was giving or going to ask me to deliver those. My involvement in that, that attempt to deliver, spanned the course of a couple of seconds. The senator said that he fielded three texts and sent two and talked to my chief of staff that somebody wants to deliver something. I knew nothing about it, he added. In the end, those electors were not delivered because we found out from vice president staff that they didn't want them delivered. End of story. I know that's been blown out of proportion. Porter says, you think so? Johnson insisted that it was wrong to look at the plot to overturn the election as a massive conspiracy. (laughs) Really? I had virtually no involvement, he asserted. Literally, my involvement lasted only seconds, okay? Johnson initially denied having any knowledge of the alternate electors. Now, of course, he does admit that he did have some knowledge. So let me see if I got this right. These people were going to hand you a document that you knew nothing about, that you had no idea what was in it, and then you were going to hand it to the vice president of the United States. That seems a little hard to believe. Because, Ron, you seem to be in the middle of fucking everything. And you are one of the biggest proponents of the big lie in Wisconsin. You were one of the people that were 
pushing this insurrection as it being nothing at all. You said that, actually, that it wasn't any big deal. I wasn't afraid because um, I knew they were my people. This is, these are things you said, Ron. You can say you weren't involved, that you didn't know anything, but I get, I, you know what? I guess I, I, I'm willing to bet that when the J6 committee comes out with its final findings, that you were right there in the mix. You can deny all you want right now, but the proof will be presented. And you, my friend, will be fucked. You're also losing in the polls to uh, Mandela Barnes, I think his name is. He's the lieutenant governor of the state. He's running against Ron Johnson. Ron is losing. And if I have uh, people that listen to the Rational Boomer podcast in Wisconsin, I'll say a couple things. I love Wisconsin. I love going to Wisconsin. I go there frequently. But whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you got to vote this dumb motherfucker out because he is absolutely ignorant. And he is a criminal. And he is corrupt. And he is a piece of shit. We need to flip a lot of Senate seats in order to give the Democrats more power and a larger majority in the U.S. Senate. And I would love to see this one flip. There is no reason in the world this guy should get voted back into office. I mean, the fact of the matter is he promised he was only going to run two terms, so he shouldn't even be running in this term based on what he promised. But, of course, he got a taste of the money and the and then the fucking power, and uh, he needs more of a taste. It doesn't matter if he's serving the people of that state or this country. He doesn't really care. He's serving himself. He won't talk to the January 6th committee because he said he had nothing to do with it. Well, we know that's bullshit. And it doesn't matter if he talks to the January 6th committee because the committee is going to have the evidence. And I guarantee you, Ron is right in the middle of it, and it'll be interesting to see what he has to say at that fucking point. Okay. Well, here's another couple of pieces of shit. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia encouraged supporters of MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell over the weekend to continue funding his crusade to overturn the 2020 presidential election. On the second day of Lindell's Moment of Truth Summit in Springfield, Missouri, Green introduced a portion of the program suggesting that voting machines were used to steal the election from then-President Donald Trump. The reason why I came here is I have recently gotten really tired of being told, Marjorie, don't talk about the election, the lawmaker explained. But it's not only Mike Lindell is the reason I am here. Well, Mike Lindell is a fool. He's an ignorant fool. He had a thriving company. He was making a lot of money. He could have just continued to do that. But he's done everything he can to self-destruct himself and his company. This company isn't selling as much as it once sold. It's not as successful. And where I feel sorry uh, is for the people who work for Lindell's company. As I've said, his 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 um, main office is like 10 miles from here. And I'm sure there's a lot of good people from the area working there just trying to pay their bills. But they got this dumb fuck running around the country destroying the company. And I feel bad for those folks. But Mike Lindell had this summit moment of truth summit. 
And of course, he promised there would be all kinds of revelations and all kinds of evidence and all kinds of things proven. But guess what? Once again, zip, nothing. There was nothing compelling. There was no evidence. There was nothing that changed anything. My question to Trumplefox, who loved Mike Lindell, how many times are you going to have the football pulled away, a la Lucy and Charlie Brown? Every time he tells you something, it never comes true. How many times do you have to be fooled or fucked with before you smarten up? Clearly, you're not there yet. Because you know what? He will come up with some other bullshit trying to grift money from you. He can't make money selling pillows anymore, so he's going to take it out of the pockets of the dumbest of us, the Trumplefox. Now, Green went on to say, you have worked tirelessly because you care so much about our country and you know what is at stake. Maybe that's true, but you don't know simple facts. You know how important this is, and so you have poured money and time you didn't have, and of course money you didn't have, you have probably lost friends, maybe you lost a job, maybe you lost faith at times, but you found it again and you keep fighting. Green said that she was thankful that the people continued to care about what went wrong in 2020. And when she says people care, that means They keep fucking sending money. We can't have a future that protects our Constitution and our freedoms and our American way of life and gives us all an opportunity if we do not protect our elections, she exclaimed. And so this is a very important day, and I will go ahead and let you know you're going to find out a lot of information. I don't know what it is. Of course you don't. You're a big believer, but you don't know jack shit. But we'll find out together, Green concluded. We'll go ahead and let the trial of the machines begin. Lindell devoted the next several hours of the broadcast to uh, presenting evidence against voting machines, which there was none. He is facing defamation lawsuits from several manufacturers of election machines. See, that's the thing. He claims to have all this evidence, and he claims to plan on delivering it but he's still getting sued. I mean, if you had proof that these machines were bad, or I, I would think you'd want to hand them over to your lawyers so that you could not lose the defamation case. But instead, he's trying to get them dismissed. I would think in this lawsuit, this would be the opportunity to show all you have, expose it to the country. And make some changes in this country. But he doesn't want to do that. Instead, he wants to put on some internet TV show where dumb fucks watch, cheer, eat their red meat, and send this stupid fuck some money. It's it's amazing. He is an absolute fool. And if you send him money, so are you. Uh, I saw a video this weekend, and it pissed me off. You would think... We'd be done with this after all that's gone on, but not the case. Three law enforcement officers were suspended after a video alleged uh, showing them beating a man outside a convenience store. There's no alleged here. The video is very clear. We got three men on top of a black man. They are punching him incessantly, kneeing him in the face, kneeing him in the stomach, 
uh, manhandling him in every way possible. Now, this kid is down with cuffs on, and they are continuing to pound on them. Do we just have stupid policemen? Jesus Christ. Now, they didn't know they were being videotaped at first until the last part, and they noticed it, and then that's when the video cut off. (laughs) But there was more than enough video there to show exactly what was happening. Clearly excessive force, clearly criminal behavior by the police department. And if these people aren't made accountable, it's a sad state of affairs. Crawford County Sheriff James DeMonte told Fox 16 that the video shows two of his deputies and uh, uh, Mulberry police officer, Sheriff, discussed the video in a Facebook post. In reference to the video circulating social media involving two Crawford County deputies, we have requested that the Arkansas State Police conduct the investigation and the deputies have been suspended pending the outcome of the investigation. I hold all my employees accountable for their actions and will take appropriate measures in this matter. Yeah, we'll see. Fox 16 reported police can be heard telling the bystander to go back away from the area and pointed away from the slamming man's face to the ground. That's the other thing they're doing. They're punching him. They were kicking him. They were kneeing him. They were taking his head and smashing it into the cement. And this guy's on the ground, one guy with three guys on top of him, he is handcuffed. There is no excuse for this shit. These people should be fired and prosecuted. It's pretty cut and dry. You can go anywhere in this country, and that is assault, maybe even attempted murder, given the things we've seen. But these police officers were clearly committing a crime. There really is no reason for an investigation. The video showed us exactly what was happening. There's no gray area here. There's nothing they can say. Well, he did this. You had three fucking police officers. He was handcuffed. If you three can't handle one suspect who's handcuffed on the ground without pounding him to death or attempting to, then you're in the wrong fucking job because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. All right, moving on. In the aftermath of the FBI search of his Mar-a-Lago estate, former President Donald Trump and many of his supporters have criticized the politicization of the Justice Department accusing Attorney General Merrick Garland of using his law enforcement authority as a pretext for scoring political points against a potential opponent of President Joe Biden in the 2024 election. (laughs) First of all, I will say Donald Trump lost the election in 2020 by 7 million votes. And as I've said before, tell me one thing between 2020 and now that would garner Donald Trump more votes. He's lost votes if he's done anything. So the politicizing of it is absolutely fucking ridiculous. But this is what they will do. Oh, God forbid you politicize anybody... um, either really doing something or somebody just being accused of doing something. I don't know. Something comes to mind like uh, like uh, Hillary Clinton. Weren't they politicizing the, the, the DOJ or the attorney general at that point when they were mercil- mercilessly going after 
Hillary Clinton and finding absolutely nothing. Garland is, to a large degree, caught on the horns of a dilemma. On one hand, he may genuinely believe that Trump was engaged in egregiously unlawful behavior or, at the very least, Trump's continued possession of the material seized uh, in the search posed an ongoing risk to the national security of the United States. And see, th- here's, here's the point. You can say they're politicizing this, but you had the shit. And you had it illegally. You took it out of the White House. When they asked, they gave you a chance to give it back, and you said, I don't have it anymore. There you go, another crime. And now you have these top, top secret documents that nobody should have outside of a skiff, and that's illegal. But you want to tell us it's politicizing it because they just want to win election in 2024. Bullshit. That is projection. That is a lie. That is absolutely ridiculous. Many defenders of the search and of the attorney general have responded by contrasting the former president's reputation for carelessness with sensitive documents with Garland's reputation for honesty and integrity in the court of public opinion. At least it's a stalemate since neither side can prove the other is wrong. In that case, the entire episode reopens the age-old debate over the independence of the Justice Department, and it shows once again how that independence depends almost entirely upon personal integrity of the incumbent attorney general. I don't see this as a stalemate. Uh, This is not a stalemate. As I say, he took the stuff out of the White House, brought it to Mar-a-Lago, National Archives had to travel down there, pick up the boxes that he took, and bring them back. When they realized there was more, he said, no, I don't have any more. So they search his home, and they find more. Like I say, there's no gray area here. He fucking did it. It almost doesn't matter what's on the documents. I mean, if they are nuclear weapons documents, then it raises it to a new level. But even if you don't get to that level... What he did, what we know he did, was illegal, and he should be accountable for it. He's no longer president. And the fact of the matter is, when he left the White House with those boxes, he was no longer president. Joe Biden was president. So there's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. He fucking committed a crime, and that is it. Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming on Sunday said it would be very difficult for her to support Senators Josh Hawley of Missouri and Ted Cruz of Texas after they objected to the electoral college votes on January 6, 2021. Cheney told ABC This Week co-anchor Jonathan Carl that both Ivy League-educated senators know better both of whom know exactly what the role of Congress is in terms of constitutional obligations with respect to presidential elections, and yet both of whom took steps that fundamentally threatened the Constitution or constitutional order and structure in the aftermath of the last election. So in Cheney's view, they both have made themselves unfit for future office. 
Remember what I said about being expelled from Congress. These two fucking clowns might be first in line. Now, of course, Cheney lost her primary on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, to Harriet Hageman, a former ally who was backed by former President Trump and has supported unfounded claims of election fraud in the 2020 presidential election. See, that's that's the weird thing here. Harriet Hageman once supported Liz Cheney, and then once she was in competition and Donald Trump decided to endorse her, now Cheney's this horrible person. That's the kind of people we're dealing with. There is no loyalty. There is no integrity. There is no credibility. This Harriet Hageman, she will be a disaster when she takes office because she will no doubt beat the Democrat because Wyoming's a hugely red state. Now, of course, Liz has been an unapologetic critic of Trump voting to impeach him and serving as a vice chairwoman for the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack. She has repeatedly criticized the former president and his allies who backed the election fraud. As I said, she said it would be very difficult. Cheney said when was asked if she could support Cruz and Hawley and others who have closely tied themselves to Trump. I think that a fundamental question for me is in terms of whether or not someone is fit to be president is whether they've abided by their constitutional obligations in the past. Cruz and Hawley are both seen as considering future White House bids. Neither one have a fucking prayer. Trust me on that. While Cheney is planning to launch a political group to keep Trump allies out of office, Cheney also aimed at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who has recently campaigned in battleground states for candidates backed by Trump and is speculated to be weighing the 2024 presidential election. I think DeSantis is somebody who is right now campaigning for election deniers, Cheney said. And I think that it is something that I think people have got to have real pause about, she, she continued. Either you fundamentally believe in and will support our constitutional structure, or you don't. Cheney, after her loss to, um, uh, after her loss, told Savannah, Savannah Guthrie that she was thinking about running for president. Look, you run for president because you believe you would be the best candidate, because you believe you'd be the best president of the United States, Cheney said on ABC. And so any decision that I make about doing something that significant and that serious would be with the intention of winning and because I think I would be the best candidate. I will tell you, I think it's going to be a while before a Republican wins the presidency. Once we get through this midterms, and the Democrats maintain and maybe expand control, they are going to be able to do a lot of things in the next two years. That's going to raise the stock of Joe Biden. That's going to raise the stock of the Democrats. And all that's coming out about Republicans and all the people that may be expelled from Congress or be indicted for that matter, that's not going to wear well for the Republicans. The two years after the midterms, assuming it goes the way I expected, is not going to be pleasant for the Republicans. It's not going to be positive, and they aren't going to be winning many elections. Former President Trump is now pushing for the full unredacted release of the affidavit 
that led to the search warrant for his Mar-a-Lago estate, a move that carries risk for both Trump and the Justice Department. This shows you how stupid Donald Trump is. The last thing the Republicans want is that affidavit, unredacted, released, because it's going to show a lot of evidence and people who were behind delivering that evidence to the DOJ. Now, I know the DOJ is concerned about uh, informants being exposed because it could be dangerous. We know Donald Trump and his Trump-la-fuck fuckheads aren't above threatening or maybe even attacking people that had the audacity to speak out against Donald Trump. I said this in a previous podcast. I'll say it again. So what? The people that are speaking out against Donald Trump are Republicans. They are people that were close to Donald Trump. If he wants to eat his own, I don't give a fuck. As far as I'm concerned, the fewer Republicans out there that feel comfortable in the debate or in running for elected office, I don't give a shit. Let them tear them up. I know that doesn't sound very Christian, but these people try to overthrow our government. As much as they're informing now, all they're trying to do is save their ass. And uh, I don't give a fuck. I don't care what happens to them. President Trump has made his view clear that American people should be permitted to see the unredacted affidavit related to the raid and the break-ins of his home, Taylor Butowich, a spokesman or spokesperson for the former president, said Thursday after federal magistrate judge Bruce Reinhardt said he may be willing to unseal portions of the document. Reinhardt ordered Justice Department officials to suggest redactions. I'll be honest, but if we do get to see it, it's going to be so redacted that uh, we won't know what hit us. We won't know what that says or what is going on about it. But I guarantee you, people like Mitch McConnell or so, uh, some other quasi-intelligent Republicans, they don't want that affidavit released. All it can do is make the Republicans and Donald Trump look far worse than they already do. And it's going to be hard to look any worse than they do now. So it's not going to happen uh, in its entirety. It will be redacted, and it will probably be so redacted that it really doesn't tell us much. But it could tell us enough. You know, it will give us general information about what they were looking at and how how it was all done and how it was all hidden. And if that information gets out, it's not going to be good for Donald Trump. Donald Trump is looking to do one thing, create chaos. Or he's betting against the judge not releasing it, so now he can say, well, see, they're hiding stuff. That's what he's going to do. And that's what Donald Trump's always done. It's always him taking some little thing and trying to turn it into a big thing to create uncertainty or chaos. That's that's his only hope. But it may have worked the four years he was in office and maybe for a couple of years after he's been out of office, but everything's too far gone. Everybody knows what they know. And anything that comes out is just going to expand on what we already know, and it's not going to look better for Donald Trump. It's just not. It's going to look a lot worse. So release the whole fucking thing. Let the informants be exposed and let the Republicans do what they want to do with the fucking Republicans. 
It'd be a good start taking Republicans out of the out of the equation. All right, we're starting a new week. And uh, there will no doubt be some crazy stuff going on this week, so you'll want to stay in touch with us here on the Rational Boomer Podcast. We'll have Ed certainly this week, and with any luck, we may have uh, uh, some other listeners that join us. It's always entertaining to hear the listeners on the on the podcast. So I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.